And I encourage you to take your Bible and turn over to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40 as we talk about the overcomer, Joseph, part two. And um, I'm glad last week you had the opportunity to hear Jason Crosby. He was here and uh, shared about love and how to love your enemies. And uh, it's good from time to time to have a different voice from our pulpit and be able to hear things um, from a different perspective. And so I'm glad Jason was able to be here. So we enjoyed our time in Florida, and we're grateful for Scott and Patty Lee being our hosts. And I'm reminded of that as I wiped sand away from my iPad here and uh, enjoyed the time there and in the, in the water and the beach and the pool. But we're glad to be back and looking forward to what God has in store as we go through this Easter season. So let's look at Genesis chapter 40, if you would. Genesis chapter 40, beginning with verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody, and one night... They both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God, please tell them to me. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. While in your notes, you'll see a review up on the screens as well. We've talked about two weeks ago how the story of Joseph began. He was at 17 years of age, sold by his brothers into slavery in chapter 37. We saw the favoritism of Jacob toward Joseph, the arrogance of Joseph telling his brothers about this dream where they would all bowed down before them, even Jacob and his wife would, and then the jealousy of the brothers, and then the hatred and deception of the brothers by pretending that he had died by dipping his coat of many colors in the blood of an animal that they killed and led their dad to realize or think that his son had been killed by a wild animal. And then we talked about slavery. Joseph was bought as a slave by Potiphar, Joseph served Potiphar faithfully and was rewarded, but then he had to flee sexual immorality because Potiphar's wife kept enticing him to, uh, to be involved in adultery. And Joseph was the object of injustice by deception and hatred. And so there he was, mistreated, now in prison, and there for a period of time. As we think about that and we transition to today's message, just to kind of put this in perspective, when Robert Kennedy was the attorney general of our country, he was reported to greet the new young lawyers who were asked to help uh, be a part of the Department of Justice when he was leading it. And he always gave them the same message. This may appear to be a large organization, but when you do something very well, I will hear about it and it will go on your record. I want you to recall that I was recently a lowly worker in the Justice Department myself, but that I now serve as Attorney General due to perseverance, long hours, 
hard work, and the fact that my brother is the President of the United States. Not necessarily in that order, he said. Well, unfortunately, Joseph didn't have any pull, humanly speaking, in high places where someone could rescue him. He had to endure the full extent of injustice until God had prepared him to become second in command over Egypt. And I want to remind ourselves today that God's training schedule is always on time. Throughout the book of Genesis, especially as we've looked at these character studies, we've seen the sovereignty and the providence of God. And you know, if Joseph didn't go through the, the time of injustice and the time of character building, he wouldn't have been ready for that opportunity to come when he would be second in command. But it's always hard for us to see down the road and see what God has in store. I just want to remind you that God will never let you suffer too long or beyond what you can handle. He will walk with you through the times of mistreatment and injustice, and there are always lessons to learn along the way that you cannot learn any other way. You know, a great contemplative uh, monk talks about the dark night of your soul. And I think all of us as Christians at some point in our life will go through the dark night of our soul where we think our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Everybody around us here are Christians. God's blessing, but not us. We're going through difficult times. But he will walk with us through those times of mistreatment and injustice. As we learn these lessons, we need to be reminded that it's to draw us in a more intimate relationship with God and these lessons will stick with us the rest of our lives. So we need, as hard as it can be at times, to let God be God in our lives, even if it doesn't seem to make sense with our thinking. Every believer must learn how to see and seek the Lord in the middle of injustice. And that's the purpose, and that's the lesson we want to look at today. So it's so important on many levels to understand how to live in the midst of injustice, because more and more of that is going to come our way. We're beginning to see persecution in our country toward Christians and churches and Christian organizations, and I believe that's going to continue to build over time. And so this is a way for us to learn some lessons from Joseph when we're faced with those things, how we're going to respond. So we talked about how he was sold into slavery. We talked about uh, how he was sold and then became a slave, but now we see today he's shackled. He's shackled. He's in prison. And we saw that in chapter 40, verses 1 through 23. Joseph, the dreamer, while in prison, interprets the dreams. Like Daniel, God gave Joseph the supernatural ability to accurately interpret someone's dreams and to give glory and honor and praise to God for it. God revealed himself to Joseph at a young age through dreams, and it appears that only dreams were to be interpreted at set times and not all the time. Let's look at the interpretation of these two dreams we read about in our scripture reading. Look at verse 9 of chapter 40 of Genesis. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. And as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. 
Verse 14, only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked bread for Pharaoh but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In the three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So he sees the point under this is that Joseph asked for and gains favor with Pharaoh's officials. Look at verses 14 and 15 we just read to highlight. He said, my only request is after interpreting these dreams, only, verse 14, remember me. When it's well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of Hebrews, and here also I've been done nothing that they should put me into the pit. In these verses, don't, we don't see someone who's really whining and complaining, but desperately wants out of prison and to deal properly with the injustices that have been placed upon him. We see the human perspective of Joseph's situation. Can you imagine the continual setbacks and disappointments that Joseph had to face? He had to fight off thoughts of despair, of hopelessness, of loneliness, of being separated from his family. I'm sure he battled with how could this God be so unfair to him in his suffering while attempting, he was attempting to maintain his character. Our thoughts run rampant in those times we just wonder where God is. In that moment, Ernie Allen, the director of National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, saw that human trafficking occurs when people, here's the definition, are owned by someone else, lack the ability to walk away, and lack the ability to make a decision in their own self-interest to do something else. That's a classic definition of what slavery is. Sadly, this just doesn't happen in countries around the world, but it's all around us here in the United States as headlines that we see in the newspaper from time to time. Here's some examples. Northern California teens sold for sex. Federal authorities from Memphis honor for breaking up child sex trafficking ring. Fort Myers, Florida, women accused of using children as prostitutes. North Alabama man convicted in sex trafficking of an underage girl. Human trafficking ring used girls, as young, used girls as young as 12, prosecutors say. Georgia man arrested for engaging minors in sexual servitude. Somalia sex trafficking ring in Tennessee. Mississippi man pleads guilty to sex trafficking. Sex trafficking in the U.S. is called epidemic. In 18 years for Chicago sex ring boss convicted of human trafficking, and in 2013, the Super Bowl was the single largest human trafficking incident in the United States. Think about that. That's staggering. 
Right now, it's estimated there's 27 to 30 million different people around the world who are uh, considered slaves. That would be sex trafficking, that would be children underage working in sweatshops, other people, kind of indentured servants working uh, for even American corporations to provide profitable goods for them. We live in a time where slavery is more rampant than any other time in history. And yet, we hear talk about it, but what is really being done about the epidemic of this injustice? Well, Joseph, back to him, he's forgotten and he's left in prison. He is forgotten and left in prison. Verse 23 of Genesis 40, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. How about you? Have you ever been forgotten? Have you ever felt like you've been forgotten? Have you been there? You just feel loneliness? Have you ever felt that God was not working on your behalf anymore? According to scriptures, at least what we see, we don't see Joseph complaining about his plight. 13 years of injustice. And he wasn't just physically shackled and imprisoned, but I'm sure with his mind and emotions and his feeling, they ran the gamut while he was there in prison, thinking about the worst case scenarios about the rest of his life on earth. You know, recently I heard a, a CNN report about the Uyghurs, this group in China who are Muslim people. And it's a pure genocide that's going on and the world is turning their back on these people. Uh, thousands and thousands are being killed. Many are put into slavery. Some of the women are forced to be sterilized and then after that they're raped by those that do that. It's, it's terrible what's going on. But what is our world thinking about and doing when we see that injustice and we're not that far removed from what happened to the Jews in Germany? Well, don't you think Joseph, thinking about his time of injustice, he had a lot of time to think about his mistreatment in prison. Don't you sometimes think that time could be your worst enemy? We have a lot of time at times to think about the plight that we're in. And it's there we have to have a right view of God and a disciplined mind to focus on faith. Don't you think there are times that Joseph doubted God? Don't you think there were times he wanted to just throw in the towel and give up on this plan that he thought God had for his life? But Joseph held on to the fact that when he was young, God gave him this dream. And Joseph was convinced by faith that God was going to fulfill the promise that was given to him. He didn't know when that was going to happen. He didn't know how it was going to happen. Day after day, he's doing the menial, mundane tasks that are put before him over and over and over. He's obedient in the little things of his life. And he trusted God at some point that he was going to do something amazing and supernatural that he could not imagine. What about you and I? When we're at the end of our rope, when we're just worn out physically and emotionally and intellectually and spiritually, when we've done all we know how to do and you don't even see the sun on the horizon, just hold on. We have to keep being faithful in the little things, raising our kids, working our job, waiting for a promotion or, or a different, a better job. You know, the thing that hurts us the most is when we're betrayed by our closest friend and then we see that they do that to better themselves on the backs of our lives. We, we need to be faithful even when we may lose all our finances or even we lose our job 
Or maybe we don't see the results of praying for years for our prodigal children to come back to the Lord. The only way out in those darkest times of night is to praise your way out. Is to praise your way out. To get alone with God. To pray back or read back to God the promises that are in his word. To listen to great praise music, hymns and contemporary music that will help you lift your spirit and look to the one who ultimately will resolve and create justice in every situation. In Psalm 147.3, David said he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. In Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5, sing praises to the Lord, O you as saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. That's a great, great promise to hold on to. And a couple of verses that I've been thinking about a lot lately are found in Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18. I encourage you to write those down. Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Think about what this person says. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no hurt in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That's powerful. There's no livestock to, to take care of. There's no crops to harvest. Where am I going to get my food? Where, where am I going to provide money for my family? But even in that, he would rejoice and take joy in the God of his salvation. So even if your night endures for years and you weep so long that you can't weep anymore, no matter what, just remember that heaven is going to be worth it all. 30 seconds after you're in heaven, you will forget everything in this life that was painful, that was difficult. We'll forget the heartaches, the discouragements. And God is faithful many times to heal our heart and to bind up our wounds in this life as well. But if he never does, we need to continue to praise him because he's so worthy of our praise. Even though Joseph sat in prison seemingly forgotten, his faith was encouraged by knowing the God and only God, the one who helped him interpret the two dreams accurately, that he would be there and that he was with him. That's what he held on to. He could see God using him. He could see when he was given uh, the control and the administrative responsibilities over the prisoners, when he had the full uh, administrative skills of Potiphar's house. God was using him and God was preparing him. So then we come to our last main point, and that is he moves from being a slave to a supervisor. A slave to a supervisor. Two dreams he was about to interpret for Pharaoh. Remember his two dreams as a young man that he, in a very prideful, arrogant way, shared with his family. Remember his two imprisonments. Remember the two dreams of the baker and the cupbearer. Two seems to be a very important number in the life of Joseph. And now he's interpreting Pharaoh's two dreams. And of course, you know, we won't take time to read those, but in there it talks about Pharaoh dreaming two different dreams. And he didn't know the answers to them. And he knew that there was going to be a seven-year period where things were going to be abundant. And then a seven-year period where it was all going to be taken away. And what, would, what did that mean to Pharaoh? Well, you see, Joseph the dreamer interprets Pharaoh's dreams as well. Joseph, the dreamer, interprets Pharaoh's dreams. Turn over to Genesis 41. Flip over to the next chapter. Genesis 
Skip down to verse 33. Now therefore, verse 33 of Genesis 41, now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. And let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that to occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Joseph had just told him there's going to be seven years of super abundance in your agriculture. And you need to take part of that grain and put it aside and store it and build up uh, an abundance of these things. So that when the seven years of famine that follow come, and it wasn't just for Egypt, but it was the known world at that time, that someone needs to administrate that and give that out and provide food for the entire world to get through the famine. Well, we see, as he interprets this dream, in verse 38, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Well, guess what? Joseph was exalted from prisoner to potentate right on the spot. Can you imagine? From all of a sudden being a prisoner deep down in the cell, shackled, to all of a sudden he's going to be given authority to be second in command over all of Egypt. <clears throat> Excuse me. What is a potentate? Well, according to dictionary.com, a person who possesses great power or authority. Look at verse 39. Pharaoh's looking around. Who's the guy? Well, obviously the guy who just interpreted that dream, the spirit of God must be on him. In verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, There's none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. And only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Think about that. Only Pharaoh and only his command. That was the only person he had to report to. And so verse 41, he says, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee, when Joseph came by. Thus he set him over the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zavanath Paniah, and he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Think about it. In just a moment's time, he received a signet ring. He had fine robes. He had gold chains. He was given a wife. He was second in command in the line of the chariots. He carried Pharaoh's authority. Joseph is now 30. It had been 13 years since he was sold by his brothers into slavery. And then we see that God used Joseph to execute the gift of administration successfully. 
all those little times that he was working to administrate the prison, administrate Potiphar's house, all the menial tasks, making sure the floors were mopped and the food was cooked on time and all these things, all of a sudden that gift is used exponentially and moved up to a great level. In Genesis 41, look at verse 47. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenoth, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. Notice what the meaning of his name is. For he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. Verse 52, the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. And so when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold the Egyptians. For the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. You know, there's nothing better than being a part of a team of people where you gather together, whether it's a work project or uh, playing sports, where you gather together and you plan and you strategize and you train and then to execute it and watch it go beautifully. If you're watching the NCAA March Madness, you see some of that, you know, Ohio upset Virginia. Uh, Ohio State was upset as well in those smaller teams, but they had a strategy, they had a plan. They'd worked hard all year. An architect can take a drawing and what it must be like to be able to go and see the finished product, to see the building built just like he envisioned it on a piece of paper. An assembly line project. There's something amazing to see a plan put together and see it executed and executed well. Joseph's plan revealed to him by God in the dream not only had to be executed well, but it meant life and death for the part of the world at that time. Joseph was successful in using his talents, his spiritual gifts, his wisdom as an administrator to save the world from famine and starvation. The only benefactor at that time was Pharaoh and the Egyptian government. And because Joseph had learned by being a servant and paying his dues, in incredibly difficult circumstances, God exalted him to a high place of authority. Think about it. First, he was a slave. He was faithful to Potiphar. Then a prisoner, faithful to the warden of the jail. Then a potentate, faithful to Pharaoh and all he did. I encourage all of us, no matter what age you are, but especially those who are younger here in the room, be faithful in the small things. Because in time, God will use them in great ways. God works in the mundane things of life. Max of Cato says it this way, it is God who puts the extra on ordinary. It's God who decides when he's going to exalt the humble one as a servant and use him in great ways. 
So let's learn these valuable lessons on display in Joseph's life and how he responded to circumstances. Here's our key thought. In the midst of injustice, we must honor God in how we respond and wait for God's timing for justice. We have to honor God in how we respond. How do we respond when those difficult times come, especially when they're prolonged and they go on for months or maybe a year and we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel? How do we respond? We need to understand that God is sovereign. He's got an ultimate plan and we can't see the end, but he can. So how do we apply this to our lives? I've given us a few applications today for us to think about under life response. First of all, as we see in the life of Joseph, your life is of great value to God. Your life is of great value to God. God created you with a unique purpose that only you can fulfill. He wonderfully created you. You need to take that to heart. Zephaniah 3.17, think about how God views you. It says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst. As he is with Joseph or was with Joseph, so he is with us. A mighty one who will save. God will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Jesus was willing to die because you're of such great value and worth and importance to him. Don't ever give up on yourself. Don't ever minimize your importance. I've shared this before, but it's just a great quote from Max Licato from his book, A Gentle Thunder. God thinks you're the best thing to come down the pike in quite a while. If God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If God had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring and a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, but he chose your heart. Face it, friend, God is crazy about you. God is crazy, crazy in love with you. Second of all, you're surrounded with God's grace and protection. You're surrounded with God's grace and protection. I take great heart in knowing that I don't have to live out this Christian life myself, but I have the best tools and the means to serve God because daily he gives me a new measure of grace, of spiritual strength. He surrounds me with angels and the blood of Christ and the armor of God protects me from the onslaught of Satan. You're surrounded with God's grace and protection. Another one, you will find prosperity in the Lord. You will find prosperity in the Lord. We'll see next week some of the benefits of a life lived in integrity. We're going to see the long-term effect of Joseph and his proper attitude, and not just in this moment that we're talking about, but how he deals with his brothers. You know, and we miss out on the richness and quality of life when we try to take a detour or a shortcut in God's plan for holiness and purity in this life. Here's another application. Your commitment to character and truth will bring success. Man, that's something the world is trampling over, making fun of, debasing all the time, character and truth. But it will bring success. It will outlive uh, the pop culture and how they view these things. Contrary to the world around us, we need to take a long view of what it will take to grow in character and to stand in truth throughout all of our lives. There's a country western song that says, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything, and how true that is. And then you must learn to have a confident trust in God despite 
injustice, and mistreatment. Again, to drive home the point that we learned from Joseph, he had this view of God, and it didn't waver. I'm sure he doubted. I'm sure he struggled. But in the end, he, he held on to it. And Joseph somehow had that deep assurance that although everything seems to be getting worse, he can still trust God and serve him in whatever circumstance that came his way. Just like the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 4 when he says, I've learned to be content in every and in each circumstance. Paul knew what it was to eat steak with the kings, and he knew what it was to drink stale water and bread and eat stale bread in prison as well. He knew both aspects, and he said, I learned to be content. And so Joseph didn't get eaten up with complaining in a bitter spirit. He didn't keep his eyes focused on the negative situation around him. He served God with the little opportunity he had, and God blessed him for it. And I guarantee you that almost daily, life will not be fair. And we need to know that and accept that as part of our existence here on earth. And then we need to learn to praise your way out to overcome the circumstances. I mentioned that earlier. To praise your way out. As I said, go to God's word. One of the great things you could do is sit down at the book of Psalms or promises in other parts of the Bible and read them back to God when you're going through difficult times or listen to music or be around those who can encourage you as well. And lastly, you may be forgotten in this world but you're never forgotten by God. <clears throat> Many of us will never reach the headlines, will never become celebrities or well-known in this world around us. But that doesn't matter because you're known by God, and that's far more valuable and important. I close with this uh, illustration from John Piper's book, A Sweet and Bitter Providence. <clears throat> and he offers these thoughts about God and his sovereignty. Life is not a straight line leading from one blessing to the next and then finally to heaven. Life is winding and troubled road, switchback after switchback. And the point of biblical stories like Joseph and Job and Esther and Ruth is to help us feel in our bones, not just know in our heads that God is for us in all these strange turns. God is not just showing up after the trouble and cleaning it up. He's plotting the course and he's managing the troubles with far-reaching purposes for our good and for the glory of Jesus Christ. And if we can get that perspective in our minds and it'll mature our faith, we can face any adversity, any difficulty in our life that comes our way because our foundation is rooted in Jesus Christ, the rock. And upon that rock, you know, Nothing can destroy it, as it tells us in that beautiful parable about building your house on the rock, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Let's bow for prayer. <clears throat> as you think about your life today, maybe everything is going very smoothly and very well. And take a few moments to just praise God and thank him for the blessings and the smooth sailing that maybe you're experiencing right now. And God brings us through those times. And we should be grateful. But we also know in Job 14, 1, it says that man is born a few days and full of trouble. That there are storms on the horizon, even if things are going well. Or maybe you're in the middle of the storm. 
And maybe the hail and the lightning and rain is coming down with great intensity. And you're looking for rescue. You're looking for relief. Just know that God is with you in the midst of that storm. That he will ride it out with you. That he will get you out to the other side. I don't know your heart, but God does. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I'm going through a lot of difficulty or uncertainty or struggles or maybe it's just in a simple area of your life. But maybe you want to just take a moment and pray and ask God to help you to tie another knot at the end of the rope and to hold on, to make himself known to you personally through this time of darkness. Father, I often think of you as a God who, like a man at a corn maze that's up on a lift truck and he can see the whole layout of the corn maze and he knows the pathways through it, but he also knows the ways that we can get detoured and lost. Lord, you can see our beginning and the end all at one time. Lord, help us to be faithful, to hold on to you even when we get stuck in the wrong place in the corn maze and we have to back our way out and get back on the right path. We thank you that you're the one that will ultimately show us the way out into heaven and that you'll give us the hope and the abundant life and the blessings and the peace to get us through to the other side. Help us, Lord, I pray for those that may be struggling here today with some uncertainty, some difficulty. We think of those in our church are going through cancer, We think of Dale and Vanessa and their families. They've lost Don and others have gone through difficult times recently. We just pray that you'll help us to grow deep in our faith and our assurance and confidence that you ultimately know what's best and you're in control. We pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen.